0: Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. This is a sermon from our series, I Am, a picture of Christ through the gospel of John. If you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website at cbcsavannah.com. My name is Clint, one of the pastors on staff, and glad you're here with us. we got a lot to do today, so we're gonna get to it. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 11. That's where we're gonna start our time, actually spend the majority of our time this morning. Um, We're gonna continue our series. If you've been here with us this summer, we're working through these seven I am statements from Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so in that, what Jesus is doing is he's helping us in a lot of real ways. And what our hope is in this series is to not worship a Jesus who we made up in our minds, who has a little bit of the Bible, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but we're actually worshiping the God of the universe, the one who was and is and is to come, Jesus, who he says he is, and we get seven really insights into this. We're gonna spend some time in one of those this morning. Um, there's this recurring theme in the book of John, really in the New Testament altogether, but 39 times there's one word, at least one English word that pops up. I was gonna give you guys a stab at it, but I figured take too long, it would get, get weird, so I'll just give it to you. Um, it's the word life. So 39 times you see the word life in the Gospel of John. It's in three of the, uh, explicitly in three of the seven I am statements, it's actually really contextually in all of them. Um, last week we, Tom preached that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In a couple of weeks we're going to hit, there's a bug on my face, there's a couple of weeks we're going to hit um, uh, Jesus is the bread of life. And today we're going to talk about what it means for us that Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life. In John 10.10, 10, this kind of cap- encapsulates it, I want you to hear this. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they, those who follow me, might have life and have it abundantly. And so we could go on and on and on throughout the book of John, but the reason why John ha- is going so hard in on this idea of life and where we can find it is because John has tapped into something that is true in his day, and it's true in ours as well, that we are all searching for life, Right? And when I say life, I don't just mean being alive, although that is a helpful distinction to make. So what are we talking about when we say life? And so in the Bible, there are three uh, different words that we see that we translate into English life, three different Greek words, original language. And so that's not particularly helpful for us because they mean three different things in the original language. The two primary usages of this word are the words bios, which is where we get the word biology. It just means to be alive, something that has life in itself. And then there's a word zoe, which means more like, man, I feel alive. Do you see the difference there? Um, Zoe is, is what Jesus is talking about in John 10 when he says, I came that they might have life abundantly. That's a word, abundantly, that means beyond measure. That Jesus' intent in coming, the whole point that Jesus came was to give us life beyond measure. Zoe, beyond measure. It's a sense that you feel like you matter, like you have worth and purpose. And again, John has tapped into something That was true in his day, and it's true in ours as well, that we are all working for life. We're all striving after life. This is what we want. It's what motivates us to do the things we do. It's what motivates us to not do the things that we don't do. And so if you still don't know what I'm talking about, maybe it would be helpful to think about the opposite of what that kind of life would be. So my guess is that we've all had days where you wake up, and nothing's necessarily different circumstantially, but you just don't feel right. Just feels like you're not bringing much to the table. And so maybe you, Have thoughts where you just, I'm empty, I feel worthless, you think to yourself, what am I doing? And not like actually what I'm gonna do today, but like what am I doing here? Right, what's my purpose, why am I here? These are the questions that stir around in our hearts and minds when we haven't grabbed onto the life that Jesus came to give us. Another way to think about it is the symptoms that pop up in our life if we're not planted in this Zoe life is just loneliness. Fear, anxiety, worry, despair. Things that you can't put your finger on. You're like, I don't even know what I'm afraid of. I just feel afraid. This is a lack of Zoe life. And the difference there isn't that we're less alive. We don't lack physical life in those moments, but what we lack is what Jesus came to give us, the spiritual sense of life that can only come from God. And so at the end of this book of John, he lays out clear, He got, literally the subtitle, he didn't write it this way, but in your, your Bible it'll say, the purpose of this book, John 20, verse 30, gonna be on the screen. John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So Jesus did all other things that he didn't write down. It's so all these incredible things, but those aren't written, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, this is the key, by believing that that's true about him, we might have life in his name. Zoe so comes from believing and who he is. And so John gives us, plain and simple, the reason why he writes the gospel, the reason is that he wants us to have life. He wants us to know that true life, this abundant life, is only available to us in the person and work of Jesus. A life where you never wonder to yourself, is this all that there is? Sense of purpose and worth and mattering. And so, we're gonna talk about that today in this I Am statement. We're gonna pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 11. The context of what we're about to read, because we're really narrowing in on just 10 verses of this story, is that Jesus and his disciples are doing ministry uh, in and around Jerusalem, and it's going awesome, right? So you can read the book of John, uh, the Synoptic Gospels you can read, and you see Jesus is doing amazing things, giving sight to blind people, right? Raising a paralytic who's never walked a day in his life, he's 40 years old, Jesus says get up, and he does amazing things. He feeds thousands of people with little kids Lunchable, Right? He's doing these incredible things and everyone's like all about it until he starts making claims that he's God, right? He's not just this really nice guy who has this authority and he's trying to use it to help people. He is that, but he's also God. And so he starts making these claims and people don't like that. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but powerful people, they don't like other powerful people because it makes them feel threatened. It makes them feel insecure. And so that's what happens in the gospel as Jesus, the The disciple John is rolling this out and telling this picture, he's not just this great guy, he is God in the flesh. And so what happens in Jerusalem when these ministry, when they're doing this ministry is they feel threatened by that, they actually throw rocks at him. They start throwing rocks at Jesus and his disciples and Jesus knowing it's not his time yet to go to the cross, he's actually forced to leave Jerusalem and that's where we pick it up in the story. What happens is that Jesus finds out that one of his friends is sick. So they cross over the Jordan River, that's where they are, they're about 10 hours away. He hears that one of his friends is sick. This guy's name is Lazarus. And we don't know what was wrong with him, right? But we know it was serious. He wasn't just dealing like with me. He wasn't just sick with allergies or, or have a cold, whatever is got a stranglehold on Gardner's throat and keeps him from talking and singing right now. That's not just what he's dealing with. We're talking about he is sick sick, right? The literal uh, translation of the word uh, is to be without strength, to be distressed or Disease, And so whatever it was, it was violent. Whatever Lazarus had, it was progressing very quickly and it ends up taking his life. And we pick it up in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, that's where he was, where they lived, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house. So Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick and he eventually goes to see him. So the part in the story that we're skipping over, not because it's not important, but because I don't think it drives the point that we're gonna make today, Jesus actually intentionally delays where he is and doesn't come for two days. And again, that's a sermon for another day. But as he's making his way into town, he hears that Lazarus has been dead for four days. So that number four, it may not seem significant to us, but common Jewish belief at the time was to to believe that the spirit of a body, when someone died, the spirit of their body might hover around their body, kind of outside of it for three days, wanting to enter back in, right? It's kind of crazy for us to think about, but that's their common belief. But after three days, they're gone, right? The hope of that happening is over. And so, when Jesus finally shows up in Bethany, it's after this window of opportunity has already closed. It's when all hope is gone, and that's where we find Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. Hopeless. when you read the Bible, um, it's difficult not to read it backwards. And so what I mean by that is we read the Bible already knowing how the story ends, and that's not wrong, right? We shouldn't pretend like we don't know how this is going to end, but if we want to let the word of God breathe, if we want to let the word of God speak and shape our life and hear from God and respond in repentance, and faith, and we have to do the work of not reading it backwards, but to put ourselves in the story and to think about it from like, how would they feel in that moment? What would be going on here? And so the reality is Mary and Martha had just watched their brother get sick and die. And like we said before, we don't know exactly what happened to Lazarus or what his diagnosis would have been today, but the picture that John paints for us is that it wasn't pretty. Right, And any illness that kills you quickly is not a pretty picture. And what we do know is that Mary and Martha had been by his side the entire time. And as they did their best to care for him and they watched his energy wane and things go from bad to worse, they send word to Jesus, their friend, who they've seen do miraculous things in the past. And they know, hey, you left Jerusalem because your life was threatened, but we need you here now because Lazarus is sick. Sick, sick. It's his desperation. They send a writer, we need you. I know you're 10 hours away, I know it's dangerous, but we need you to come. And no doubt, as they took care of their brother, they would go back and forth to the window, from his bedside to the window, going, is he here? Where is he? The writer left days ago, where is Jesus? Hoping for him to come, to show up, to do what he had done in the past, but he doesn't. At least not until it's too late. And so in the midst of her sorrow, she finds out that Jesus is near, and she doesn't wait around for him to come and explain himself. She runs to him, and look what she says in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you feel the angst in that statement? Imagine the pain she must have been feeling, experiencing a loss, a loss that she had probably never felt before in her life. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you know exactly how she felt, but either way, my guess is that the majority of us can enter in a little bit and and identify with what Martha says to Jesus here. She says, Lord, if you would have been here. What she's saying is, why didn't you do something? She's saying, where were you? How could you let this happen, right? We can identify with that. And what Martha says next is actually interesting. In verse 22, she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. God will give you. And so, some folks give Martha a hard time here. Right, they say that this is just like this empty religious statement, that she's just kind of throwing it up there. It says, coffee cup theology. It's Instagram or Facebook post meme theology, that she's just kind of saying it, not because she believes it, but because she knows she's supposed to. But when I read my Bible, I cannot help but disagree with that. Because I don't think she's just throwing empty statements up to Jesus, trying to make him feel good. I think she's hurting. I think she's desperate and searching for life. And in this moment, of agony, she's trying to figure out and put the pieces together going, how am I gonna find the strength not to just give up altogether? So she runs to Jesus in the midst of her pain and in that moment, if she's anything, she is honest about her struggle. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she says, but even now I know. This is faith, I think. Look at how Jesus responds, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so this is kinda where we see that Martha doesn't quite get it. Yes, she is being faithful here, but she doesn't completely understand the fullness of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. So Jesus says this, your brother will rise again. This is a word that literally means to stand up. So he says, Lazarus is not laying down forever. He's gonna stand up, and her response is I know. Right, I know there will be a day, it's coming, where he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, and this was common belief for Jews of her day. This is consistent with the teaching of the Old Testament, with the teaching of Jesus. Martha says, I know there will be a day. So what she says isn't wrong, but again, it proves that she doesn't fully grasp who Jesus is. What she's doing here is what I call theologically deflecting. So she's trying to keep this conversation with Jesus in her head because she doesn't wanna let it get down into her heart because it's too painful. We've been there. This is the the way we do this. Hey man, how's it going? I'm fine. Trying to cram the lid on top of that space in our heart and our mind so tight because we know if we pop it, we don't know what's gonna happen. That's what's happening here. Trying to keep this conversation out of her heart. And what I mean by that is that she's willing to trust Jesus with her life in the future, but she's not willing to trust him with her life now. And so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, she says, I know, and that's an important word there. I know, but that's a future reality. Like imagine how she feels in this moment. Her brother just died, she runs to Jesus, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, and he responds, your brother will rise again. And she's thinking that that's a future resurrection reality. She's not thinking, no category that he can help her in this moment, but I trust you with my life in the future and so I know there will be a day that he rises again. And if that were true, if that's what Jesus had in mind and he responded that way, how cruel and shallow of a response is that? This is you finally mustering up the strength to confide in a friend about how difficult life is for you right now or, or, or sharing about the hurts of a past wound or something like that. You get to that space, you finally muster the courage, I gotta get this out, you share with someone and their response is you just gotta let go and let God. Some of you have had this said to you before. Some of you has probably said this to other people before. You gotta let Jesus take the wheel, right? And, And no disrespect to Carrie Underwood, but that is not helpful in the moment, is it? And this is how Martha thinks Jesus is responding to her. She's probably rolling her eyes as she responds, I know, I know he'll rise again on the last day. Jesus says, no, no. I am not just the resurrection, I am the resurrection and the life so this is our I am statement. If you're wondering what that means, Martha did too. So Jesus clarifies. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That is a bodily resurrection he's talking about. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So if you were here a few weeks ago when we kicked off the series, Bill covered the significance of what Jesus means when he says, I am. If you missed it, you can go back and listen online, but for us, it seems like he's about to explain who he is. He says, I am, and you're like, okay, who are you? We're waiting for the meat of the sentence, but in reality, when he says, I am, he's echoing back to the way that God has revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament. It's this word, uh, where we get the covenant name of God, Yahweh, and Bill talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's this word, ego, I me, this phrase. When I first heard that, I was like, that sounds like seven o'clock at my house in the morning. When Zeke says, Daddy, ego, I'm me, right? He's asking for some frozen waffles. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. In reality, he's claiming to be God, pointing back to this reality that he is Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, the one who was and is and is to come. This is the foundation of all of these I am statements, who Jesus wants us to know that he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came to take away the sin of the world, he is I am, and Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, in her desperation and in her pain. This is who I am, this is how I'm going to help you. And so here's what's happening. Martha runs to Jesus, her brother just died, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, and functionally what she's saying is, if you would have been here, I would have the life that I want. If you would have been here, I wouldn't be dealing with this pain. If you would have been here, Enter the blank, right? If you would have done what I think you should have done, then I would be satisfied. And so when Jesus responds, he says, your brother will rise again one day, she's thinking, I know that he'll rise again one day, but what about my life now? How's that gonna help me deal with the pain? What do I do with that? And what Jesus says, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, his point is, I am the life you want now. You're looking elsewhere for something that can't give it to you. I am the life you want now. I know this hurts, but what you really need is me. Not only am I the source of an eternal life, I'm the source of the life that you're searching for now and every moment in between. And then he says, verse 26 at the end, do you believe this? Even though she's already said, I know. She's already testified to faith of saying, hey, I believe it. She says, I know. He says, do you believe it? Because there's a difference between knowing and believing, isn't there? Knowing is just mental assent. It's just head knowledge, that's all it is. We just spout off facts and have all the right answers. Believing is when we let what we know work its way down into our heart to settle into the nooks and crannies there that actually shapes the way we live our lives. Not just on Sunday morning. But all throughout the week, our lives different because of what we believe to be true about who Jesus is and what he's done. And this is the hope of the Christian life, the life of following Jesus. It's not just a hope for the future. It is that, praise God. There will be a day, Revelation says, where Jesus returns to make all things new and in that moment, there'll be no more weeping, no more crying. That day is coming. There is a hope for the future, but it's not just that. The hope for the future comes into the past or to the present, it is a hope for now. Shapes the way we live our lives now. The good news of the gospel tends to, for most of us, maybe all of us, the good news of the gospel is deeper and bigger and richer than we tend to realize. And this is why John writes his, this story, right? He says so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in him we would have life in his name by believing. And so maybe you're wondering, what does this have to do with us, right? You're thinking right now, I already know it. Exactly we need to answer the same question Jesus asked to Martha. We know it, but do we believe it? Does it shape the way you live your life? Does it change anything about how you interact with your spouse or how you parent your kids or how you show up at work or the faithfulness by which you think about the people who are around you? Does it change anything about the way you actually live your life? I'm gonna let you make that decision for yourself because you know you better than I do. But for what it's worth, I think that we are all a lot more like Martha. Martha, than we want to admit, and here's how. We are willing to trust Jesus with our future life, but how seldom, how often, rather, are we willing to trust him with our life now? That's the difference we have to make. We believe that Jesus is the source of resurrection, but when it comes down to it, we don't believe that he is what we need now, and our lives say this is true, don't they? Where do you run after a long day After a hard week, what do you feel like you need? What do you crave in that moment? How long is that list if you actually made it before you get to Jesus? Finish this sentence for me. My life would be what I want it to be if I had blank. How many times can you fill in that blank honestly before you get to the life that Jesus came to give me? Who he is and what he's done and me believing in that. Finding hope and worth and matter mattering and purpose in that space. And we do this, man, I do this. And the problem with that is the Bible teaches that it can't work that way, that Jesus is not interested in being, in us treating him like an a la carte menu, where we take what we don't and leave what we like, like take what we like and leave what we don't, right? That's not how it works because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not resurrection or the life. This is who I am. This is what I came to give you and I want you to have it, but you can't pick and choose. It means for us that we need to abandon the search of the next big thing that we think is gonna satisfy us. Right? The house, the promotion, another spouse. Whatever it is that we think in our mind that's gonna satisfy, whatever that blank was filled into, right, it means the nicer car isn't gonna satisfy us because only Jesus can. Because here's what's gonna happen, is you're gonna get the nicer car, you're gonna get the nicer house, but you're still gonna be in it. And so you're dissatisfied. It means we stop working ourselves to death to earn the love and the approval of the people around us. But what what motivates me to be a good husband isn't because I want my wife to like me. I do want her to like me, but that's not what motivates that. It means that the reason why I go to work and work hard isn't because I need to earn the approval of the people around me, right? Because what we have in Jesus is an eternally secure for us the love and the approval of God the Father. And friends, there is no greater mattering available to you, no greater purpose available to you than knowing that because of what Christ has done for you, you forever have the approval of God the Father. And when God thinks of you in this moment, because of Jesus, not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is, when God thinks of you, He is not disappointed in you. That is such good news, in fact, that is the good news. Right, and this does not mean that we don't get to enjoy the things of this world. In fact, it's the opposite. It means that we get to actually enjoy them the way that God intended them to be enjoyed, as good gifts from him. And a great example here is food and friendship. So. You do not have to be a follower of Jesus to enjoy a great meal with people you care about, do you? You don't. You can be in that space and by God's grace you've been there, right? This is one of God's common graces, gifts to humanity. You can enjoy those things, but the best it can be, so say you're in that space and you think to yourself, man, this is awesome, this is amazing. Like hopefully you've been there, right? But if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's where it stops. It hits that ceiling and it will every single time. And then immediately you'll have thoughts in your head of, hey, when we're going to be able to do this again? Or I wish so and so were here or something. It creates this ceiling, this frustration that we can't quite get to what we want it to be. But for the follower of Jesus, that moment, you can experience every bit of it. Man, this is awesome. It doesn't stop there, but it gets to roll up into a heart of gratitude and worship for God. And you get to think, man, how great and generous and kind and merciful is our God that he would surround me with people who I like and they like me, to worship God in that space. And we get to how great and generous is God that he would create these flavors and put them together and gift someone better than me in such a capacity to put it on a plate so that I can enjoy Like those types of things are spaces that only the follower of Jesus can get to. It's what we were created for. It's not just bios, it's zoe. It's this eternal, abundant life that Jesus says he came to give us. And the same thing is true with every other good thing we can experience and enjoy in this life. Marriage, or kids, or even your desire for the promotion. That's a good thing, a desire to work hard. Because if it happens, then what? If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're like, I need another promotion, I need another promotion. You're never satisfied, and you're constantly working and striving for life But no matter how much you accumulate, you're never satisfied because what you're looking for, you're in the wrong place. He says, I am the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the life you're looking for then. I'm the life that you want now. And when you do that, you will always hit the ceiling apart from him. It'll It'll be always pain and frustration. So my son Zeke is three and a half years old. I have another son. He's just over a year old, so he doesn't give me much sermon material. So until then, we're stuck with just the one. Um, he loves construction vehicles, okay? And so, last week we are at the beach and for whatever reason, every time we go there, they empty the trash. They bring a bring tractor out there and they dump the trash out, it creates a nice aroma. It's a great day at the beach, you get it, Tybee. Um, and, and we're out there and, and he's playing. And I go, hey buddy, look a tractor. And he goes, dad, it's not a tractor. It's a front end loader, you know? And I wanted to correct him and say, well buddy, technically, a front end loader is a type of tractor, but I, I wouldn't let him have that one, right? Because he's three and a half, he hasn't had many victories in his life, he needed that one. Um, Got to pick and choose, parenting moments. Anyways, for whatever reason, he likes to take his toys under our kitchen table and play. It's like a little safe space for him, a little fort, you get it. And so, but our table isn't like the four post one where there's a lot of space in there, it's like a single post. And so he goes underneath it and he plays, and I'll like, say, buddy, what are you doing? He's like, I gotta, I gotta go to work, dad right, he was a general contractor that day, so the whole gang was out, the excavators, the dump trucks, like the backhoes, we're all in, he's under there, he's playing, and he's going for it, and then three times in a row, he's playing, he gets real excited, goes to stand up, boom, hits his head, Ugh. so he scoots a little bit, right, gets back down, gets playing, he's going for it, gets real excited, forgets, stands up, boom, hits his head, Ugh. scoots out, three times, <clears throat> the third time, I, let, I was watching him, I was like, let's just see how this plays out, you know, <laughs> the third time it happened, I was like, buddy, get out from underneath the table. You're done, get out from underneath the table because he's getting so frustrated and he can't put it all together. And so I was just trying to get him to not hurt himself. But he gets so mad at me and I'm the one who caused him the pain or I'm the one who's punishing him for just wanting to play. And guys, this is what we do when we take good gifts from God and we try to make them ultimate things. We take them in our own little space. We try to find life in things that God gives us to enjoy rather than find life in the one who gave us those gifts in the first place. And we always hit the ceiling and it always leads to pain and frustration. And most of the time what happens in the same way that Zeke was yelling at me is we run to God and we go, Lord, if you'd have been here, we're accusing him. Like he's the one who's causing us pain or he's the one who's causing us frustration. And all the while he's just saying, I just want you out from underneath the table. I just want you to be able to enjoy the way you're supposed to. Enjoy, I want you to have the life I came to give you. So we say, Lord, if you'd have been here, and Jesus' response to us is, I'm the life you want. I'm the life you want in the future, the life you want when you're desperate and when you're hurting, and the life that you want every moment in between. And again, the question we have to answer is this, do you believe it? Not do you know it, but do you believe it? Look at how Martha responds, verse 27, we gotta pick it up. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of God who is coming into the world. So she starts with, I know, right? She starts with, I get it, and then she goes, no, no, I get it, I believe it, right? Which is awesome, we could stop there because that sounds great, but if we did, I don't think I'd be serving you well because later in the story what happens is Mary and Martha, or yeah, and, and Jesus is there too, they're standing outside the tomb of Lazarus, and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha jumps into action, true to her personality, right? Verse 39, she runs to him. She frantically runs over. tries to stop and she says, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. She's trying to convince him not to do it. Say, maybe it's going to stink. We shouldn't do that. And honestly, do you think that what she was trying to avoid was the smell? Her brother had just died. And now Jesus is trying to dig his body up. And what she's saying, she's begging him, please don't do this. We've been through enough, please don't do this. This is what she's saying here. In verse 40, Jesus responds, did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? And what I want you to see there is not really an indictment on Martha, but more of a picture of who Jesus is, that he's compassionate and he's patient, that he doesn't send her away. He doesn't say, hey, a second ago you said you believe it and now you're saying don't roll the stone away? He isn't send you away, but he's compassionate. And here's what happens. Jesus moves toward those who are hurting, patient. And so if that's you, you don't have to run from him. He's good. Jesus says, roll the stone away. And then what happens next is the reason why I think that if you're wrestling, nobody told me this thing was hanging like that, come on. What happens next is the reason I think that if if you are wrestling in this moment with do I believe it or do I know it, this is why you should answer with an emphatic yes. Verse 33 and 44, rather, it'll be on the screen, it says this, it says roll the sun away and then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. A man who had been dead for four days, Jesus speaks into a tomb and a dead man listens and comes out. This reminds me of Mark 4 when Jesus is with his disciples in the boat and there's this storm raging and they come and get him and he calms the storm and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves will obey him? What type of authority must he have? In John 11, what we see is, who is this that even death doesn't have power over him. He is the source of eternal life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe him? And it doesn't mean that you're never gonna doubt, right? We see this is true in Martha's life. It doesn't mean we're not gonna doubt. It just means that you believe it, that you've pushed your chips in. You say, I'm with him. I'm gonna line my life up with the way that he says he should live it, because I believe him, because I'm in. So the question that you have to answer this morning when you're thinking about, hey, do I believe it is this. Are you trying to figure it out on your own? Doing your best to squeeze the life out of every bit of what's available to you. Essentially, are you playing under the table? And you keep hitting the ceiling and you're, no matter how much you accumulate, you're frustrated as there's pain there and you're wondering, what? is this it? I needed the job, I got it, and now I'm still not satisfied. I got another one, I'm still not satisfied. The new house, new car, nothing is working. You're right because you're looking in the wrong place. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In just a moment, some folks are gonna get in the water. They're gonna be baptized. This is what they're saying about themselves. They're saying, I believe him. Not perfectly, not I'm never gonna doubt, but I believe him and I wanna line my life up with the way he says he should. So he says I should be in this water, testifying after faith in Jesus that this is who he is and this is what he's done, okay. I know it's scary, it's nervous, nerve-wracking to get in the water, but I don't care. I'm gonna follow him, I'm in. I believe that he's the resurrection and the the life. I'm gonna do the best I can to line my life up with the way he says I should live it. And if you're new with us or or new to the church in general and this is all foreign to you, this is not salvific, meaning this does not make you a Christian or any more Christian, it doesn't save you. The Bible teaches clearly we are saved by faith in Jesus. This is symbolic, it points to the fact of who he is and what he's done. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old is past and the new has come. That's what this is. And I've been made a new creation in Christ. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna celebrate the goodness and the grace of God to us in the person and work of Jesus. Father, in this moment, I can't help but think about Mark chapter nine where a man desperate for his own son's life in a similar way runs up to you for healing for his son, and you ask him a similar question, do you believe it? And he says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And so in this moment, God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, grant us the gift of faith in a way that actually shapes the way we live our lives, not just what we do on Sunday morning. That what we know to be true about you would work its way down into our heart and settle into our minds and bear fruit for the kingdom. Shape who we are because we know and we believe that because of what Christ has done, we, he has forever secured for us the love and the approval of God the Father. Amen.